following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, I'm Kyle Knight, as Chris said, uh, a youth minister here as well as elder candidate. If I haven't met you yet, that's who I am. Meet me afterwards. I'd love to get to know you. Um, but let's, hey, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles right away. We've got a lot of text to get through today. So go ahead and open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you're online with us, you can go ahead and click the little Bible tab there or open up your Bibles. Um, underneath every chair is a black Bible, uh, page 237 in that Bible. Get your phone or your tablet, whatever it is um, that you can see this text because we want you to see it. 1 Samuel chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning. And now, believe it or not, I know this is going to make people kind of sad in this room. Um, This is our last week in 1 Samuel. See, yeah, it's sad, Um, at least for now. Okay, this is our our last week in 1 Samuel. We're wrapping up kind of our our 1 Samuel series to begin this year, 11 weeks um, so far to start this year. But don't worry, we're going to jump back into 1 Samuel um, at the beginning of next year to finally get to the story of Saul and King David. So you'll have to wait a little bit for that. But... Um, just a little bit of context. We, we want to kind of put ourselves in the right place of where, where we've been so far, where we're at. Um, Saul has really been through a lot so far. Okay, in 1 Samuel, after being anointed the first king of Israel, uh, after not really believing it himself that he was chosen for this, um, but especially after having his own people, the people of Israel, not really believing that he was um, chosen to be the king after going to war against uh, the Philistines and where every time the Israelites are really the the underdogs there. And after really struggling to, to being this militaristic leader that Israel really needed at the time, I feel like this is a good time to see Saul's time as king come to a good end. But that ain't happening, okay? Not in the, not in the story today. Um, Saul's kingship has been rejected. We saw that a few weeks ago, but today Saul will be rejected by God. So, so this is it. This is really uh, the end of King Saul. And I'll tell you up front, um, this is definitely not a happy ending for Saul. Okay, and in fact, this chapter we're about to read here is pretty dark. Okay, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's a, it's a very tough passage to read through and really even imagining this happening. So not only does Saul's time come to a not so happy end, um, it comes to a very disturbing and, and, and brutal and uncomfortable end. So let's get to it, shall we? So follow along with me as we start reading here in 1 Samuel chapter 15 with verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman child and infant, ox and sheep, camel 
and donkey. So let's stop right there. Uh, these, these first few verses were sort of introduced really to a new enemy of God. Now, not necessarily new to them, but it's new to us and it's new to Saul. And they're called the Amalekites or Amalek. So uh, I feel like we have to acknowledge something right off the bat, okay? As much as I would love to just skip this part of what is being commanded of Saul by God, we have to address it. Okay, I feel like it's the elephant in the room that God is calling Saul to go and wipe out an entire group of people and kill everyone and everything, not just all the men of the Amalekites, the women as well, the children and infants and every living animal, everything. He wants absolutely everything completely destroyed. Now, to me, that sounds absolutely crazy that God would want this. I mean, how could God want this, right? And how could God do this? Um, so really quickly, I feel like something we have to understand again is that we are not God. We are not God. I'll, I'll, I'll get to why this is sort of justified in God's eyes to completely destroy the Amalekites in just a second. But we have to remember that God's ways are higher than our ways. Okay, God's reasons are above our reasons. We cannot fully understand God's ways. And really at the end of the day, God is good. God is God. And we as Christians need to trust in his ways and respect his sovereignty and his just decision, just decision making even, even if it doesn't make sense to us at, at, at all. Okay, so God comes from a perfect place with his loving and perfectly pure heart that his decision must be the right and just thing to do, even if it sounds completely terrible to us reading it today. Like, I, I struggle to understand this. It's hard to read something like this, but God commanded it. So let's try to understand it a little, even, even just a little bit of where God is coming from and what the, Amal uh, the Amalekites have done in the past to warrant such an unspeakable act done to them by God. So from this text, we don't get a lot about the Amalekites. Okay, but we do hear about the Amalekites a couple other times elsewhere in scripture. Um, the Israelites were supposed to have completely wiped them out from the face of this earth back in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Okay, but up until now, 1 Samuel chapter 15, that still hasn't happened. Okay, now here's the deal with this group of a Amalek. The Amalekites were a very cruel and wicked people. They were, they, were, they were a wicked group of people. Earlier in Exodus chapter 17, talks about how the Amalekites would fight. The, like they, they're, the way that they would fight. They, ambushed, they would ambush Israel, and they went for the defenseless first. Okay? So they would find the weak and the sick and all of the children, and they would kill all of them first. Okay? They, were, they were truly wicked People and God was going to act justly towards them in their sin and promise to wipe them out completely from the face of the earth because of that. 
Okay, so this I feel like is super, super important for us to understand because as hard as this command is from God to Saul and as hard as it is for us to read this today and and try to understand it, like try to understand God's actions and his justification for this, God's ways are higher than our ways and God is fair and just. Now, All this changes at the cross of Christ because that judgment then is on Jesus, but this is the Old Testament, okay? So let's dive more into this passage and start a little bit more about, after we know a little bit more about the Amalekites and their history of Israel, let's keep reading here in verse four. So follow along with me. Verse four. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction." So Saul disobeys. I mean, of course he does. Like that's the Saul, that's the Saul we've come to know, right? Like he never does it God's way. We see Saul defeats the Amalekites, but he spares the king of Amalek, King Agag. He takes him alive and the people of Israel keep the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs. They keep them for themselves. Now, Maybe if you're like me and reading this today, we might think like, oh, he spared somebody. Like he he spared someone's life and they didn't kill all the animals. Like that's that's good, right? Like this this is just too much death already. That's good to to spare lives. And this is where I want to make my first point today is that obedience to God is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. When it comes to God giving clear-cut instructions to Saul on what to do with the enemies of God, the instructions were pretty clear. Kill them all. As harsh as that is, God's command was clear. And they disobeyed. Now, Saul partially obeyed the command of God, right? Saul showed selective obedience, They showed partial obedience, which which ultimately means they disobeyed God, right? So um, example here, parents, this might trigger you a little bit right now, but uh, sort of this half obedience thing, right? This kind of of followed directions, the, well, I I did most of what you said. I did most of my chores. Um, My son, Austin, who's five, Uh, is really good at this selective obedience thing. Um, And I know he's only five. We haven't touched the teenage years yet. So those are still ahead. So pray for me in that. Um, But I mean, he excels at this. 
He is, excels at this selective obedience. Like I, I tell him, hey, buddy, go clean your room. Okay, why don't you go upstairs and go clean your room and don't come down until your room's clean, okay? So he'll, and he says, okay, like he'll go upstairs and maybe five minutes later he comes down and he's like, okay, dad, I'm all done. And of course, I'm a little skeptical because it's been five minutes and he can't do anything in five minutes, let alone clean his entire room. Um, so I go up there and I, I want to I see what he's done and see what he's cleaned. Now, what I can see is that he has cleaned about a three foot square of carpet. I can actually see the carpet in his room right there, but everything else is still covered with toys and clothes and, and everything. And like, I'll, I'll say to him after, like, like after I've said, dude, buddy, like your room is, you didn't clean your room. He'll say, he'll say, yeah, I, yeah, I did dad. I cleaned. He'll say, Oh, you mean I had to clean my entire room? Like, no, you know what? That little spot of that, that little spot of carpet, I see, that's good enough, man. You, that, yes, of course. I mean, clean your whole room. That's the whole point of this, right? Like, of course, I meant that, like you didn't, you didn't, you didn't do what I told you to do. Like, you didn't listen to what I told you to do. In this text, God gave a clear command, and they disobeyed. And church, I feel like the thing we can learn from this is. Partial obedience is disobedience. Selective obedience is disobedience. Like it's all or nothing when it comes to obeying God. And hey, I, I know at times, like I believe our lives look a lot like this and being selective with how we obey God's commands for our lives, picking and choosing those things we believe God is calling us to do. And, you know, we, we say we like to obey God and what, what he's called for us to do, maybe his calling on our life, but sometimes we don't fully obey him. And hear me, I know sometimes God tells us to do some pretty hard, difficult things. Like I get, I get that. I mean, just look what he called Saul to do and the Israelites to do here. But God's commands are not always easy. They're not always gonna be easy to obey. Sometimes they're challenging. Sometimes they'll push you. Sometimes they might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. They might test your, your patience. They might test your strength. They might even test your faith in God. They might test a friendship or a relationship. And sometimes they could just be downright brutal and really difficult. It's, but it's easy to partially obey. It's easy to have the selective obedience when it comes to God's will and calling on your life. Like we could tend to obey God with the easy things, right? But when God commands us to, maybe he's commanded us to getting rid of some difficult things in life, like that's might be too hard for us to do. And so, so we keep those things around. And so church, what are those in your life? Like what are those things that God has maybe been telling you or commanding you maybe to get rid of but you, you kind of like them. You kind of like keeping them around. Like they'd be too hard to give up. Like they feel really good. So, so why, give, why give them up? Where are you being selective in obeying God today? It's all or nothing. And so let's move on to this next section. It's a lot, a lot of text right here. So follow along with me in verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. 
I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Okay, so the first thing with this section, God felt regret. God felt regret. Now, we have to dive into this a little bit more and do some more work on that because the word actually here in verse 11, the word for regret could also be translated as to be grieved. Okay, so it's possible to read this as God was grieved over the fact that he made Saul king. But hear me, God is not saying he made the wrong choice. Okay, remember, God said all along, that this choice of Israel wanting a king instead of God would go very poorly, right? He said that from the very beginning, and now he's showing them, he's showing them that it went exactly how God said it was going to go. And still, God is grieved over that. God's grief does not negate God's sovereignty. For for example here, let's, let's take Jesus. Jesus knew Lazarus was going to die, and yet he still weeps at his grave. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he still weeps for him. Like God grieves with us, even though he's completely in control of things. Okay, the second thing, Samuel went to meet Saul, and it says Saul had set up a monument for himself in his victory. So after he had clearly disobeyed God's command, in his victory, he builds a statue of himself, an idol. Of course he does. Again, that's the Saul we, we've come to know. He was, he was so proud of himself that he thinks he obeyed everything God commanded of him, right? And again, it's all about him. It's all about Saul. He's taking all the credit He's not understanding all the wrong he has done. He just thinks he's the man. Saul's the man. But Samuel knows the truth. And so Samuel says to him in kind of a tongue-in-cheek funny kind of way, hey, what are all those animal noises I hear? Like, weren't you commanded to kill all the animals, but yet I still hear them alive? Like, what's, what's going on? And I feel like this is another what have you done moment with Saul, right? A few weeks ago, we talked about what have you done? This is another one, Saul. I hear the animal, what have you done? And Saul responds to getting kind of called out on his disobedience by defaulting back to the, what he usually responds to and being when he's confronted with his sin is just more lies and more excuses. 
This time again, like, like previous times, he blames everyone else, right? He says, well, the people brought all the good animals back. Like, it wasn't me. I didn't, I didn't do that. That was them. Don't get mad at me. But hey, they, they brought them back so that they could be a sacrifice to the Lord, right? So it's all, it's all good, right? No, it's not all good, Saul. Samuel's saying this is not all good. And so I want to make my second point here today. And listen, Saul can defend his actions all he wants. He can deflect that responsibility for his actions and deny his sin all that he wants. But sooner or later, his sin will catch up to him. Sooner or later, Saul's sin catches up to him. And at this point in Saul's journey, it's sooner. It's right now. And yet again, Saul doesn't take responsibility for his own actions, for his own sins. He just deflects them on other people. He just tries to cover up his, his disobedience to God by throwing everybody else under the bus. But sooner or later, your sin catches up to you. And at, at, at some point, there's no more hiding from your sin. Right? Especially if you're like Saul and your sin of, of disobedience keeps getting called out by Samuel and, and you keep denying it and you keep deflecting it towards others and, and you try to defend yourself or justify your sin, it will come to light. And for Saul, it's all about to come to light and it's all about to catch up with him again. I mean, we see a lot of these examples, um, really, I mean, even with, with celebrities and in the media today of just celebrities' lives blowing up in the public eye so everybody can see, like, or, or, or an athlete um, who gets in trouble for doing something they shouldn't have been doing and, you know, come to find out they've actually been doing this for many, many years. Uh, they're, like, caught in a lie or doing something wrong, and it's, everybody kind of thinks, oh, maybe this is just a one-time thing, but more and more just keeps coming out and it just snowballs. It keeps piling up and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and worse. And unfortunately, we see this with, with even big, well-known pastors of churches and almost they're like fall from grace sort of thing. Like when all of a sudden the sin gets kind of put out in the open of this pastor and you think, you know, this is okay. This has got to be the first time that this has happened, but come to find out like more and more comes out and starts coming to light and their, their sin finds them out and sin always catches up to you. And are you in a place like that today, church? Like maybe where you've continu- continually haven't dealt with your sin that it just keeps snowballing or piling up and maybe it hasn't caught up with you yet right? Maybe you've been, uh, d- been doing a pretty good job at keeping it hidden or suppressing that, or you've been a, done, done a pretty good job at covering, up, covering it up, but it will find you out. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and maybe your sin has caught up with you. Maybe like today, it just feels like it's all come crashing down on you. Like all your sin has just come to light and you're sitting here thinking, how am I going to deal with this? We'll see here in just a minute how we're supposed to deal with this. But let's keep pushing and push through towards the end here. So again, this is another big chunk of text, but, but stick with me. Verse 17. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you over you king over Israel 
And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord has sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the, Am- the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So now we see how Saul thinks he should deal with this, right? Like the one thing about Saul is he does admit to keeping King Agag alive. Way to go, Saul, for finally admitting something. But again, he blames everything else, keeping the good animals alive on, on everyone else. And his reason for that is something that I feel like is all too common that we as Christians do, right? So he says, you know, the people took of the spoil, the best of the animals, but they did that to be sacrifices to God, right? They didn't take them for themselves. Like we were going to give them back to God. So it's okay, right? Like we did it for good reasons. This is how Saul justifies his blatant act of disobeying the command of God by saying, but I did it for God, And Saul is trying to, to, to cover up his sin by saying he did it for God. He says, well, sure, I didn't fully obey what God told me to do. But look, like, I'm going to make sacrifices to him. Like, I'll just, I'll just show him my good deeds I'm about to do with it. Like, I'll just do more. And Samuel calls him out on this again and says, hey, the Lord wants your obedience, not your sacrifices. And church, like, we do this all too often, like when we try to cover up our, our sin or our di- disobedience to God with just more religion, like more things that we think God wants from us. And that's my third point today is it's obedience or religion. All right, so Saul tried to justify it by thinking God would want the sacrifices. So, so that's why they didn't destroy everything. And we do this too. We really do, but it just just looks a little bit differently, right? We try to do more for God, even though we kind of totally miss the mark elsewhere. We just try to do more good deeds or something. Like maybe maybe a few examples here. Maybe you're one um, who loves to take notes in church, right? Chris has always said there's a special higher position in heaven for those who take notes. So (laughs) note takers, way to go. Maybe those weren't his exact words, but... He loves the note takers. Maybe you're, maybe you're a note taker and you'd like to fill every single page of your notebook every single Sunday. And you're just writing note after note after note, all these sermon notes down, taking more, like the more the better, taking as many notes as you can. Even though maybe you get home and that notebook gets tossed in a drawer or maybe just on a nightstand and doesn't even get opened until 
the next Sunday where you grab it. And again, you're just taking note after note, but you don't read those and, and put those things into practice. Or maybe like a good example is maybe, maybe you just want to do things in the church and get get involved. And like, I'm going to be a volunteer in the kids ministry, or I'm, and I also want to do the welcome team, but I'm also going to do the missions team. I'm going to do all those things. I'll just do everything for the church and be so involved everywhere in the church. Even though maybe you go home and you're not involved with your own family and you're neglecting your kids and spending time with your kids and being a good example to your own kids. And that's just not important to you at home. It doesn't work to just do more things for God. Like God doesn't want all of our religious acts if we're not submitting to his authority and obeying him completely. Like, are you, are you just trying to please God with more, more acts, more things rather than submitting to him and obeying his word for you? To obey God is better than sacrifice. That's what Samuel says to Saul. To submit and obey God is better than just doing more Christian things that we think God wants us to do to kind of cover up that, that sin. Okay, let's, let's finish this up. Let's, let's get to reading a little bit more. Verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now, quick pause here. Like Saul, again, finally admits he's sinned, but yet still justifies that sin by saying he was afraid of the people. The people made me do this. So Saul, Samuel drops the hammer on Saul one last time and, and just says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord rejects you. Verse 27 and Samuel turned to go away. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I, may that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. I told you this was a pretty rough passage. Let's, let's, let's wrap this up. And I want to wrap this up here by saying this. I do think this is a great place for us to end our journey in 1 Samuel, like at least for now. 
and through Saul's life as king over Israel, because this last little bit, I think, is the closure that Saul and Samuel need, and of sorts kind of puts a bow on this for us and reminding us what is of utmost importance, what we need to do most of all, and that's how we deal with our sin. Okay, the sin that, that we just keep going back to, the sin that's going to find us out and catch up to us if it hasn't already, the sin that Saul just couldn't seem to take responsibility for, the sin that Samuel was grieving for Saul over. Samuel, not Saul, needed to finish the job. And that's my final point today. As you see, Samuel had to finish the job for Saul. Samuel realized that, that in his grieving and frustration and his anger towards Saul in his disobedience to God, he was the one that needed to finish the job for Saul. And so he sends for the king of the Amalekites, King Agag, and Samuel does what Saul couldn't do. He finishes the job and he kills Agag himself. And listen, he doesn't just kill Agag. It says Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. It's a brutal passage, but here's the thing, church. It's the way we need to deal with our sin. Like we need to put our sin to death. We need to step up and take responsibility for our sin and kill it. And here's the deal, church. Saul never took his sin seriously. Like he, he never fully took responsible for his sin. He never took obeying the word of God seriously. And his sin just continued to build up and build up until God and Samuel had enough. And church, as brutal as this passage ends, I believe we need that reminder again of how to deal with our sin. I'm talking about the, the sin in our lives that we really need to just drag out in front of God into the light maybe in front of others as well. And we need to hack it to pieces. We need to butcher it. We need to deal with our sin aggressively, completely and utterly destroy it, showing no mercy to our sin. Because here's the truth, and this is what a theologian writer back in the 1600s, John Owen says this, I'll put it up on the screen. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So how do you treat your sin, church? Do you not want to let it go? Like, do you, do you not want to be too harsh to your sin because it still makes you feel pretty good? Do you want to continue making excuses for it or lies about it? Or do you want to take it as seriously as Samuel took it and see it for what it is? And do you need to just, not just, kill your sin, but do you just need to hack it to pieces, showing no mercy to your sin? It's a good reminder for us as we close out this, this chapter on the kingship of Saul that, hey, it's all or nothing for you in obeying God's word for you. It's all or nothing. Because sooner or later, your sin will find you out and you'll either keep trying to cover it up with more religion, more acts, more good deeds for God, things that we think he wants from us, or you'll step up and hack it to pieces and finish it before it finishes you. On a positive note, 
As terrible of an ending this is for Israel, there's hope. There's hope for Israel. But we'll wait to see that hope in King David next year. (laughs) Will you join with me in prayer this morning? God, we thank you for difficult texts like this that, that just sort of make us look at the sin in our lives. Look at where we're, we're not obeying all of your commands for our lives. Looking at our, our, our sin that maybe we're trying to hide, God. God, I thank you for difficult stories like this and examples of how, man, if we don't, if we don't deal with our sin aggressively, if we don't kill our sin, it can kill us. And, and, and God, you showed us that. You showed us what sin does with your son on the cross and how brutal this is. God, I pray for all of us in this room that man, if, there is, if there is sin in our life that we do just need to drag out into the light, that we've just been keeping hidden, that maybe we've been too nice to it, thinking that it might just go away on its own. God, I just pray that if there's that sin in our life, that maybe we just need to drag it out and show no mercy to our sin before it kills us, God. God, I just, I lift up this text to you. God, I just, I just ask that, that if you're doing work on our hearts right now, if we just need to bring that sin to you, God, I pray that, I pray that we do that. God, I pray that we realize that it's all or nothing in obeying you, God, but to show no mercy to the sin in our life. God, this is a difficult text, but we, we trust you. We trust that you are just and you are loving God, we just, we just pray that we can, we can learn to be all in with you, God, in obeying your commands for us. Jesus, we thank you for this time, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.